If you want warmth, you must stand near the fire. If you want strength, you must withstand the weight. Like raw metal, through force and flame, we are tested. As the hammer falls, we are shaped, bent, made into something new. From scrap to substance, from crude to crafted, with every strike, formed and made with purpose. If you want faith, you must be forged, refined by fire. Welcome back to church. It's so good to see everybody. If you don't know who I am and you're a guest in the room, my name is Chase. I'm the family pastor here at Rolling Hills. It's an honor to be here um, with you guys as we continue our series called Forge. Actually, this is the conclusion of our series called Forge. And we've been taking a look at a, a life of a guy named Joseph, not New Testament Joseph, but right Old Testament Joseph, Genesis chapter 37 through 50, Joseph. And so we've been looking at his life and, and quickly we begin to to see this idea of forged being refined by fire with Joseph, meaning his faith is being forged. And maybe for you, this series, this summer series, have, has kind of been like a roadmap for you and the situation that you've been in. I've heard several people tell me that uh, over the past several weeks. It's been exactly what they needed in this season of life because for you, maybe, maybe some things has happened in your life where you just feel like you're being forged right now. Like a lot of difficult things that happen, no matter where you step, it seems to be the wrong step. Uh, you know that statement, when it rains, it pours? Like, have you ever felt like that before? And it always happens. It always seems to happen. One bad thing happens, and then like 15 other bad things happen. You're like, what in the world? And we're asking the question, could it be that your faith is being forged? You know, what we see from the life of Joseph is Joseph had a very defiant type of faith, Me meaning he, he made the statements like, even though I will, even though, God, I'm going through this difficult circumstance, I will follow you regardless of what I'm going through. You see, this doesn't just apply in the good times. What we've learned is that it also applies. I mean, the bad times, it also applies in the good times. It also applies in the seasons of life where it seems to be going good. We should apply that statement even though I will in those times as well. Even though, God, man, life is good. Like, man, my marriage seems to be rocking. My, my kids seem to be obedient right now. Like, things are up and to the right. My career is taking off. I'm making more money than I've ever made in my whole life. Even though, God, I've done all those things, I will not forget you. Pastor Jeff reminded us a couple weeks ago that, that you won't find any atheists in foxholes. You won't find any atheists on operating room tables. And it's in those seasons where life seems to be okay, where we, our faith begins to flounder a bit, a bit because we think that we're in control of our own situation. Nothing could be further from the truth. And so we've been looking at this idea of uh, being faithful, and today we're kind of summing up the series. And what I want to do for us today, I'm going to pull back a bit, and we're going to do a 5,000-foot view of Joseph's life, and we're going to tackle some, some principles that we can latch onto, uh, latch onto about faithful mile markers in our life, what defines a faithful person. But also, we're going to take a step even further than that, a 10,000-foot view, and we're going to look at the whole narrative, and I want to change the narrative on you, so just be waiting. It's 
going to change completely as we get into this message. So with that, let's just pray for our time. As church family, let's just pray for our time as we study through God's Word. Father, my prayer will always continue to be, may we forever be changed by your words. May your words not return void. We are yours. Teach us today through your word. God, I pray even as I'm up here, that I'm just your vessel, that I'm just your tool. You deserve all the glory and all the honor and all the praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so if you've been traveling throughout the summer, which we all, we all have traveled, if, if you've a guest in the room, you've been here only a couple weeks, or this is your first day, I want to recap for you just a little bit. If you've been here for nine weeks, just hang on, okay, because I want to do a little bit of recap. Here we are in the story in Genesis chapter 37. Jacob had, Jacob had sons, right? He had a bunch of boys. He had 11 boys at this point in time. One of those boys was called Joseph, right, right, good. Joseph, and Joseph ended up being his favorite son. You're like, what do you mean he had favorites? Yeah, he had favorites because, because his love of his life, Rachel, had Joseph. And this is a crazy family dynamic that Joseph actually had, had kids with like four different women. Like, it's crazy. Like, you think your, your family's messed up, jacked up? Just read the Bible, all right? So we have this crazy situation here, but, but Joseph ends up being the favorite of the boys. And you think this sat well with the brothers? You think they, they liked that? In fact, Joseph gave, or Jacob gave an extravagant robe to Joseph in front of his brothers. And they're like, oh, that Joseph. How many of you have younger siblings in the room? Raise your hand. I want to see you. All right. It's like, mm. you, you, this frustrates you. You look at Joseph and you're like, oh, that Joseph. How many of you had are the, are the baby? You're the youngest. Look at these. They're raising their hand higher than you did. <laughs> because they know something. They know that they're the favorite. My hand was high too. Mom, Dad, we know, don't we? My brothers are actually watching too. They're like, oh, that chase. Um, so... We get to the point of the story and we transition to Joseph has this dream, this dream that was given by God. And this dream said that, hey, one day your brothers will bow down before you and your mom and dad will bow down before you. You think the brothers handled this very well? No, they hated him all the more. They couldn't believe it. So what happened? They sold him into slavery. They sold him to some Midianite merchants and those Midianite merchants took him to Egypt, away from his hometown, away from his homeland. They took him to Egypt. And they sold him to Potiphar's household. So now he, he is a slave in Potiphar's household. He gained favor with the, the, the household, and he also gained favor with God. And he worked his way up through the ranks, and they, Potiphar put him in charge of his household as a slave. Now, here's the problem. He was a good-looking dude. Like, he was handsome, and he was smart, and he was buff. Like, I mean, three great qualities. And Potiphar's wife had wandering eyes. It's like, ooh, and she took notice of him and quickly um, began to lead him on and, and said, would you, you need to sleep with me. And he was like, no, that's, you're crazy. He's like, no, I can't sin against God. It would be wicked in, in the, the sight of, of the Lord. And it's also going to sin against your household. You see, Joseph was a guy of integrity. But Potiphar's wife twisted the whole story around and made it seem like he was the one and he was accused for something he didn't do and he was sent to prison. 
And while in prison, he met a cupbearer and he met a baker. And we don't have no idea why these two men were in prison, but they were part of Pharaoh's court and they served Pharaoh and they got sent to prison for some reason. And, and those guys had dreams. One had a good dream and one didn't have a good dream. Joseph interprets those dreams. The cupbearer was released to go serve under Pharaoh again. And Joseph sat in prison. He sat in prison for two years waiting for somebody to come get him. It never happened until one day Pharaoh had a dream. Pharaoh had a dream. And nobody could interpret that dream. And he was, he was in agony. And the cupbearer saw that he was in agony. And the cupbearer was like, oh, I remember now. Oh, there's a guy in, in prison that interpreted my dream. Let's go get him. So they went and got Joseph. And they brought him to the royal courts. And he interpreted, he interpreted his dream. And his dream was, was simple. His dream was, hey, Pharaoh, you're going you're gonna to experience seven years of abundance, and then you're going to ex experience seven years of famine. So this famine. So there's going to be 14 years there where you're going to, where you need a plan. And here's the plan. Joseph lays out a plan, and Pharaoh's like, man, you're a smart dude. Like, you, it's evident that you have favor with God as well. So here's the thing. I want to put you second in command over all of Egypt. What? He goes from prisoner to palace. He goes from slave to being CEO of a company. Second in command over all of Egypt. Story speeds up a little bit. And then after he's put in charge of Egypt, the land, it happened. There's a lot of abundance that happened in the land. And then there was a famine that happened in the land. And because there was a famine that happened in the whole land, J Joseph's family from back home, his homeland, right, they experienced the famine. And they, Jacob didn't know what to do. He was like, the only place that has food is Egypt because they prepared well because of Joseph. So I'm going to send my brothers, I'm going to send my family to go get food. And so, but, he, but he, he kept Benjamin back. He's like, I'm not going to send my youngest again a favorite. He's not going to send his youngest. And so they all made their way down to Egypt. That eventually led to a series of events that would cause Joseph to reveal himself to his brothers, forgive them, and bring his entire family to Egypt to care for them. So here's where we have to pause, and we have to look at the life of Joseph. And when we look at the life of Joseph, we see, man, there's a lot of ups, and there's a lot of downs. There's more downs than ups. But he remained faithful. He was faithful to God. He was obedient to God. You see, Joseph had no clue what his life would become of. Joseph could in no way have predicted the work that he was going to do, and Egypt would prepare him for provision for his family. He had no idea that God was preparing him for what he was preparing for him. See, the only thing that Joseph had control of in his whole life was his desire to be faithful. That is it. God didn't call Joseph to be faithful. He called to successful. He called him to be faithful. We can't forget that. And so my question for us this morning is, how do you measure faithfulness? How do you measure being a faithful person? What do people, people think about you? And that's, that's kind of the, the simplistic question here is, is what do people, how do people describe you? What do people think about you? And is it could be maybe, maybe in terms of are you encouraging are you, maybe it's the other side, are you always griping or always finding fault with people? Maybe you're finding good in people. Maybe you serve others really well. Maybe, maybe you're always working, or maybe you're always working out. 
Maybe you're always sharing your faith with people, or maybe you're always scrolling through Instagram. You know how many hours we can waste doing that. But what are people describing you as? What would other people say about you, and would included in that description, would it be faithful? Would it be faithful? What does faithfulness look like? And here's what I really believe. I believe we can pull back and look at Joseph's life and pull out five principles about what it means to be faithful. And these principles, I believe, are barometers, can be barometers, measurements, markers for how our faith is to be. The first is this. We look at Joseph's life and we can see that that Joseph possessed the right values. You see, faithful people possess the right values. A faithful person knows what's important in life and what isn't important in life. Proverbs 28.20 says this. A faithful man will be richly blessed, but one eager to get rich will not go unpunished. He's not talking about money. He's talking about, in this passage, he's saying we have to realize that life is more than just the accumulation of stuff. Accumulation of things. The Bible says if we're, we, are, we are to live like fish swimming upstream in a very materialistic world. You see, possessing the right values has to be part of our faithfulness. The second thing is this, faithful people care for others. They care for the interests of other people. See, this is evident in Joseph's life, his interaction towards the Egyptians, right? His interaction towards his brothers. He cared for others even when they didn't deserve it. See, that's a pretty good barometer for us when we care for others. Maybe we care for others whenever they really don't deserve our care. See, faithfulness swims against the stream of, uh, streams of contemporary culture which says, what's in it for me? What are my needs and my desires and my wants and my values and my profit and my benefit? But God's barometer, God says that faithfulness is proven by our folk. One, our, our focus on others. And two, our willingness to give ourselves away. The Apostle Paul says it, says it best in Philippians chapter 2. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others as above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the other. See, faithful people care for the interests of others. And number three is faithful people live with integrity toward an unbelieving world. And and I believe this, this is true, but also believe that this is one of the most undervalued principles that that we can live by. It's so undervalued, but the mark of faithfulness is the kind of testimony that you have with unbelievers. We can't forget that. Joseph was a man of integrity in difficult situation. He could have easily just said, I'm just going to give in, I'm going to compromise, but he didn't. He could have made life easier on himself, but when God evaluates your faithfulness and my faithfulness, He won't be looking for our communication skills, our resume, or how successful we are in life. One of the markers he's going to look for is how we walk with those who are outside the faith. 1 Peter 2, 12 says this, Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong. Does that sound familiar? Though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify your God on the day he visits us. This requires such great courage. And here's what I truly believe, that our integrity may be the one thing that attracts people to the love of God. I truly believe that faithful people live with integrity towards an unbelieving world. Number four is faithful people obey God's commands. And here's the thing. This may sound so simple, 
But sometimes obeying God's commands require it, it, it comes with consequences. And that's the hardest part. With Joseph, man, he didn't care the consequences. He said, I'm going to be faithful. My integrity matters more than my trust. Or my integrity matters more than the consequences of the situation. Faithful people are obedient people. And the last thing is this. See, faithful people pass on what they've learned. They pass on what they learn. See, you and I are here today because of faithful men and women who invested in us. You and I are here today. We, we have God's word because some faithful people in the church several hundred years ago made a priority to interpret, to write down, to translate so that we can have the written word of God and we can use it today to study his word and find out truths about way, the way we are to live our lives. It's because of the testimony of faithful people of why we are here Today, see, here's the thing. We, that God teaches us that, that when we receive a truth, that we are to pass that truth down to somebody else. It's our duty to pass it on to others. And if you're not growing in your faith, and, and a lot of times people come to us and say, hey, how do I grow deeper in my faith, right? How do I grow deeper? And we, we can point them to Bible studies and those things. And those, those things obviously are there for us to grow deeper in our faith. But if you really want to grow deep in faith, you invest in somebody else. Man, that will challenge you to the core. Invest in somebody else. And here at Rolling Hills, we really truly believe in community groups to be a part of a circle of people. We love Rose. Like, we have church, we love Rose. We believe it's a biblical mandate for his church to worship corporately together and come before a holy God and say, you are worthy. And we all agree. But there's something that happens in a circle that doesn't happen in a row. Something that just different that happens in a circle where you get to see people eye to eye, face to face, and they can encourage you and, and, and talk about what you're going through, the circumstances in your life, and really help you take next steps of faith. We believe that community groups are so important. That's how you pass on what you learn. And also, the second thing I believe, apart from community groups, that's a core value of Rolling Hills, but also another core value of Rolling Hills is serving. Like, we truly believe that whenever you take the next step to serve somebody else, you are passing on what you've learned. And I'm going to make a shameless plug here as a family pastor, if you take a look in your worship guide, you're going to pull out an uh, uh, insert, and that insert is going to have a post-it card on it, and it's going to lead you through a process of how you can invest in the next generation in a preschooler's life and in a kid's life, because we believe that you have what it takes to pass something on, to pass faith on, to let them know that they are loved by God and that Jesus loves them. Like, that's how we pass on our faith. You see, these faith principles, these five faith principles ultimately point to a legacy that we want to leave, that God, God not only admires our faithfulness, he actually requires our faithfulness. We can't forget that. But in order to pursue a life of faithfulness like Joseph had, we first need to understand that our faith does not and cannot begin with us. See, if we want to have a defiant faith, a faith that says, even though I will, then we've got to understand it's not by my own might and my own power. It's only through him. See, our faithfulness begins with God's faithfulness towards us. 
our faithfulness begins with God's faithfulness towards us. We, we sometimes forget that this is, not, this is not our story. You see, this is not Chase's story. This is God's story that I get to play a part in. And the, the cool thing is that I get to play a part in it. The reality is when you and I try to insert ourselves in the story of Joseph, we identify with a certain character, do we not? It, this is natural. We think about us watching movies. Like when we watch movies, and we watch movies with heroes in it, we like to place ourselves in the, the, the position of the hero. Like, I want to be the hero of my story. You think about movies that you watch. I mean, I love the Avengers. Anybody else Avengers lovers? Like, I love the Avengers. I love, because some of the guys in here, you're like, Thor. Man, I can identify with Thor, right? Look at that guy. Like, I want to know you if you can identify with that guy. Look at those muscles. Or maybe if you're women in the room, you can identify with somebody like Wonder Woman. Man, she's so cool. She kicks butt and takes names and takes over, man. I love it. Or maybe you're in the room today and you're like me and you, can, you want to identify with a brilliant billionaire and handsome a guy named Iron Man. Like, man, I love Iron Man. But the reality is you and I want to be the heroes in the story. And when we look at the story of Joseph, we want to identify with Joseph. We want to be that hero figure. But that's not our story. You see, when we take a little closer look at the story, our storyline closely aligns with the brothers. Brothers who were rebellious, sold their, brothers, sold their brother for pieces of silver, made excuses, continued to make the wrong decisions. How do I know that we identified with, with them? Because eventually the brothers would recognize their need for a Savior. Does that remind you of another story in Scripture? And this is where we have to pull back from 10,000 feet and really take a look at the landscape of the Bible and the landscape of this story and talk about what, what, he wants, what the Lord wants us to, to hear this morning. It's because when we look at it from the brothers' perspective, we have to do that. We look at it from the brothers' perspective. We realize that faith truly it does start with God, that a story is less about our faithfulness and more about God's faithfulness towards his people. See, we get to the end of Genesis chapter 49. His family has is, is come to Egypt, and Jacob, who he didn't, Joseph didn't get to spend a lot of time with, mind you. Jacob calls all his family together and says, I'm about to die Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go bury me in the land of Canaan, back in our homeland. Will you, will you do me that favor? Joseph's like, yeah, Dad, we'll, we'll do that. It's fine. And, and jo Jacob passes. It's, it's kind of a, marks the end of an era. Jacob dies. The mourning process begins. So they mourn, actually the Egyptians mourn Joseph for 70 days. Now, why is that so crazy? This is just a side note here. This is why it's crazy. Because the Egyptians mourned a Jew. No, no, no. The Egyptians mourned a Jew that they didn't know. No, no, no. The Egyptians mourned a Jew that they didn't know for the amount of time that they, would, they were to mourn a Pharaoh. Like, that's bananas. But why did they do that? Is because of Joseph, because of the kind of person he was, a guy of integrity, a guy of honesty, a faithful guy. His dad was honored because of Jacob, Joseph's service. It's kind of crazy. But we move on. Genesis chapter 50, verse 7. So 
Joseph went up to bury his father. They, they made their journey to the land of Canaan. All Pharaoh's officials accompanied him, his dignitaries of his courts and all the dignitaries of Egypt, besides all the members of Joseph's household and his brothers and those belonging to his father's household. What's so significant about this? Remember, we're thinking from the brother's perspective here. Think about this. Joseph hasn't been back to his hometown in 24 years. Why? Because of his brother's. And now his brothers are on the road traveling with him to the land of Canaan. And they must be thinking, let's put ourselves in the, the brother's perspective here. There's no way he's going to forgive us. Like there's no way he's going to keep his forgiveness that he offered us. In Genesis chapter 45, there's no way. Like whenever, whenever Joseph, whenever he sees the place where we sold him into slavery, there's no way. Oh, oh, wait, whenever he sees the, the place where we mocked him and, and made fun of him, whenever he sees the place where we rejected him, whenever he sees the place where we ripped him from his father's presence, from having a relationship with his father for 24 years, there is no way that he's going to forgive us. Joseph, the brothers are thinking, Joseph must be so angry we're not going to live after this. So think about that journey for them down memory lane. And then we move to verse 14. After burying his father, Joseph returned to Egypt. And together with his, with his brothers and all others who had gone with him to bury his father. Verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, What if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrong things we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions before he died. They're trying to make excuses now. They're like, oh, we got to think about that. Verse 17. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers for the sins and the wrongs they have committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive them and the sins of the servants of the God of your father. When their message came to him, Joseph what? Wept. Joseph had already forgiven them, but they had a hard time accepting their forgiveness of past sins. They had a hard time of this, and Joseph's brothers completely misunderstood the, the forgiveness in which their brother had offered them 17 years earlier. They thought that his forgiveness had conditions, the fact that his father was still alive. That's the only way he restrained from punishing them. That's the only way that he, he restrained from, from killing them. And Joseph was moved to tears. Why? Because he was heartbroken. He was heartbroken because Joseph had freely offered forgiveness, but they could not, could not understand it. You see, here's sometimes we have a problem with. And you may be in the room today and you're like, man, I can't get over my past sins. And here's the thing. Don't let your past sins keep you from experiencing the fullness of God's grace. See, so many times we can, we can allow that to happen. You, you've been like, man, I'm in a tough spot right now. And you may think that your past sins you can never be forgiven for. And you may be in the room right now thinking, you don't know what I did yesterday, Chase. You don't know what I did last week. You don't know what my marriage is like right now. And you don't know what I've done in years past. There is no way that I can get my head wrapped around a God that, that, that forgives. And you have forgotten this. You have forgotten that grace is not earned, it is offered. 
You see, God's grace is sufficient for you. Romans 8, 1 says, Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. When we understand this, get this, when we understand this, it leads us to live in God's unconditional love. There are three types of love throughout Scripture. And every time I do a wedding ceremony and the couple stands before me, I love to talk about these three types of love because I think it paints a good picture for how we are to interact with one another. And so, so the first type of love, it comes from the Greek word eros. Eros is uh, it's where we get the word erotic. It's a very selfish type of love. It's a love that says, I don't care who I hurt in the process of getting what I want. Uh, it doesn't matter to me as long as I get what I, what I want. That's that kind of love. It's a very selfish type of love. And then you get, get this, this love called phileo. Phileo it sounds cool. And it, this, is, this is a brotherly love. This is where we get the word Philadelphia, by the way, the city of brotherly love. It's phileo. And, and with, with brotherly love, we can't imagine giving love to somebody and them not returning the love. Like, that's the process. And we, we think that this is what that story is all about. This is brotherly love is, is kind of because they're brothers and, and like they're interacting with one another. It has to be a phileo type of love. There's no way that Joseph can forgive them because they haven't accepted it. But that's not it. You see, there's a third type of love, and maybe many of you know what this type of love is. It's agape. And agape is an unconditional love that says, I, I have the capacity to give and keep giving without expecting anything in return. I have the past capacity to give and keep giving without expecting anything in return. You see, a love like this with Joseph's brothers, Joseph. Joseph's brothers thought that now Jacob was dead, that Jacob was going to turn his back on them, but there's nothing that you can do to make God love you less. I want you to hear that from me this morning. There's nothing that you can do to make God love you less. And you may be sitting in the room thinking, man, you don't know my past sins. I don't have to. God does. Romans 5, 8 says this, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And, and we get that picture. Man, that's a beautiful picture of the, the, the gospel. And then the, the, the hard part is the next verse. Let's read on. Verse 18, his brothers then came to him and threw themselves before them and said, we are your slaves. What? Verse 19, Joseph finally responds, Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them, and he spoke kindly to them. You see, Joseph understood something. Joseph understood that God's plan was much bigger and much better than his own. That God's plan was to use Joseph to save a nation. Wow. You know, the definition of slave is being owned by another person. And Joseph is saying, you don't understand. You are not Slaves, You are free and your family is free and you are my family. I will provide for you and I will care for you and I will love you. Can we get a picture of this and how it relates to, to Jesus? 
Romans 6 says this. We know that the person we used to be was crucified with him who put an end to our sin, to sin in our bodies. Because of this, we are no longer slaves. The person who has died has been freed from sin. In Christ, you are free. In Christ, you are free. You see, these brothers didn't have to live in fear of their past sins because of the promise of Joseph. And the same goes for us. When you put your complete trust and your hope and your faith in Christ, you are no longer held captive by sin. You're no longer bondage, in bondage of sin. You can live free. You are no longer slaves. See, you should not allow sin to have a, a foothold of your life. You can live free. So here's what I believe. And I'll be done. If we are to live a life of faithfulness, bondage does not make us faithful. Freedom does. If you're to live a life of faithfulness, bondage does not make us faithful, but freedom does. And you may have come in this room this morning with some baggage. You may have come in this room this morning thinking, you don't know what I did yesterday. Well, that's okay. Because I don't have to. The Lord, Lord knows. And he's telling you this morning, you don't have to be bound by that sin that you're living in. Because here's what I want you to do. I want you to live free in me. See, if you want to be faithful, you first have to rely on the faithfulness of God. Can we get a picture of that? Can you get a picture of that in your own life? And maybe for you in this room, you have never put your complete trust and hope in Jesus Christ. And you have this weight on you. And you can't figure out what this weight is all about. And what God is asking you to do is give it to Him. Give it to Him. Let Jesus cover it. We're moving to a time of worship. We're going to sing a song here, and we're all going to stand, but we're all going to sing a song called No Longer Slaves. We're no longer slaves to fear, but we are children of God. And maybe this morning you've got to bring this before the altar of God and say, here, I'm laying down my burdens. I'm laying down my guilt. I'm laying down my shame because I want to live with you and for you and by you. Father, holy God, who afforded us the opportunity to be called children of God through Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, that whenever you sacrifice on the cross, we put our complete trust and our hope in you that we are no longer slaves to our sin, but we are free to live in your grace and your mercy. God, thank you. Thank you for your grace that we don't deserve, but you so freely have given. May we worship you in this moment and give all our burdens and cares on you because you care about what happens to us. Your love is stretches far from the east is from the west. How can we ever imagine how deeply you love us, but you do? In Jesus' name. Thank you.